Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, where we discuss all things mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information and resources, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 23 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. So this week we have another special request episode. And this episode is for all of the parents or loved ones of teens in the audience who said, please give me something to help me deal with my teen, to help me have difficult conversations with my teen. So this week I am joined by another very special guest therapist. From suffering from teen depression to being written off by her family and teachers as being just another troubled teen, Janae Johnson has always been a firm believer that at any given moment, you have the power to say, this is not how the story is going to end. Janae chose to take control of her story. Choosing to dedicate her life to uplifting and empowering the leaders of tomorrow, Janae's body of work includes a published book, magazine features, radio interviews, and multiple guest appearances. Recently, she has been featured on Essence.com, exploring reasons why marriages fail, Exxon Nicole, and Huffington Post as one of the 10 Black female therapists to know. Janae works as a provider at a local nonprofit dedicated to offering a range of behavioral health and social services to those in the greater Philadelphia region. She is also the founder of Teen Talk, a therapy practice for teenagers, author of Dear Teen Self, and the co-founder of the nonprofit The Black Brain Campaign, which strives to eradicate the stigma of mental health in the Black community via education and advocacy. Janae received her bachelor's and master's degree from Delaware State University and LaSalle University, respectively. So when you all requested an episode about teens, then I knew that she was definitely the person I wanted to have to speak with you all. So please enjoy this conversation I have with Janae Johnson, licensed marriage and family therapist. So Janae, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this has been a very um, highly requested episode. So a lot of people in the audience have teens that they really wanted a special episode just for them. So I thought who better to bring on than the teen expert that I know. So I'm very happy you could join me today. Yeah, I'm excited. I love to talk about teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me in your work, what are some of the major issues that you are working with with your black girl teens um, in your practice? Absolutely. So one of the biggest issues, which is probably no surprise to anyone listening, is social media. Social media has become a very big source of contention for our young girls, and it really impacts a lot of other issues. So social media impacts their self-esteem. Um, it, it just completely consumes them. So I see a lot of young girls that are struggling with self-esteem and then that self-esteem sometimes spirals into depression. And then that depression sometimes spirals into suicidal ideations. So I see a lot of youth that are dealing with a complex um, 
variety of issues. And a lot of it is around social media. So a lot of girls come in with suicidal ideations, self-harm um, thoughts. They have self-harmed in the past. Um, and that's just kind of peer stuff. And then on the flip side, I do see a lot of girls who are also struggling to navigate their parental situation. And I say situation because it varies from, you know, all families. I've noticed that there's been a very um, large influx of parents who understand the social and culture, you know, cultural dynamic. And so they're pushing their kids really hard, but they're pushing it almost to the brink of breaking. And I don't think a lot of parents are really stopping to take stock of that. It's almost like they're operating so much out of fear that they're really damaging and hurting their child. So that's another aspect of what I see. And a lot of those kids as well have suicidal um, ideations because they feel like they can never live up to what their parents want from them. So okay. that's it. Yeah. So we'll dive into each of these individually. So let's start with the social media piece. Um, so what specifically is happening with social media that is causing like the um, changes in mood and like the suicidal ideation that you're seeing? What, what specific aspects of social media is related to this? Oh, so the biggest uh, piece of it is image. So many young girls do not look like the models, right? They don't you know, have, they're not super tall or they don't have like this long hair or they don't have this perfect symmetry to their bodies. And that's what they see over and over again on TV and on social media. So a lot of our young girls do not even feel beautiful because the beauty standard that they see does not look like them. Um, the girls are also interested in a lot of young boys, but a lot of the young boys seem to also be interested in that beauty standard. And so the girls are trying to become that beauty standard in some way to get the boys' attention. And it's just like such a vicious cycle. The other part of it is a lot of our teenagers really aren't sure how to navigate sexual conversations or sexual situations and scenarios. And a lot of our young girls are being exposed on social media. I've had a few different clients that have been exposed their body parts and different things on social media. And then they come in to treatment for that. And it's a thing. So when I say it's a thing, I mean, you know, nude pictures are flying through teenagers and preteens phones and they're saving it for an opportunity to use it. Mm, It's yeah. So they're they're They also use social media as the ultimate get back. So it's like, if you play me, I'm going to post this. Okay. Okay. Which of so course, it's a lot. yeah, which of course, you know, like if you are dating this new guy or whatever, you're not thinking that eventually this could end and that he could do something evil with these pictures that you sent him. Right. Or you, you're so into him and a lot of young, you know, and in a lot of relationships, boys are telling girls, if you don't send this to me, then you don't care about me. You don't like me. You don't love me. Somebody else will send it. So a lot of our girls are doing things that they don't even want to do, mm -hmm. but they don't want to miss out on the quote unquote teen experience of a boyfriend or, you know, having friends. And so a lot of them are being peer pressured on a larger scale than we've ever, in my opinion, ever seen before. Okay. And so something you mentioned um, brought up this thought for me. So 
you know, I think a lot of us maybe, um, you know, of course, generations removed from our teens now, um, <laughs> you know, like I typically use social media to keep up with like people I actually really know, like peers and that kind of thing. But from what you're saying, it sounds like the teens are really kind of following maybe celebrities and like reality stars who are not even peers. So they're kind of trying to compare themselves to people who are not even in their peer group. Yes. And, or they're comparing themselves to, so yes. And they're also comparing themselves to those peers. And we've all had this, this is more common, right? The one girl that was super popular in school, you know, she had the popular boyfriend, everybody thought she was pretty. And that's also still happening for teenagers. Teenagers have, you know, I just got back from Puerto Rico and I'm just going to share this story because it was so interesting to me. I was in Puerto Rico and there were teenagers on the beach. And of course, one of them came up to me. I was like, I find teenagers everywhere. (laughs) Um, And she was from Texas. But what was interesting were the other teenagers. She was on the beach taking pictures and she was saying like, oh, I have to keep my followers in the loop. I have to keep my followers in the loop. And so one boy actually like, well, how many followers do you have? She's like, I have 10,000 followers. They got to know what's going on. I can't have other people in my pictures. And it was just so interesting to hear that dynamic because a lot of our youth are really attached to their followers. And they're really attached to those friends on social media because they don't really know how to connect with people in real life or in real time, I should say. Um, and so social media has become this safe ground for trying to make friends and not really having to deal with the rejection and not having to deal, you know, not having to deal with it in your face. We all know that we can get on our phone and we don't want to be bothered. We can put our phone down, but you can't really do that in real life. And so a lot of our youth are really attached to their followers. Um, some for good reasons and some not so good. Yeah. So I would imagine that that does come up in in your work too, then like helping your teens navigate like actual in real life relationships if all they've really done is connect with people online. Yes, it does. It comes up a lot. A lot of our youth do not know how to make friends. They do not know how to keep friends. They don't even really understand that someone disagreeing with you does not mean that they hate you or that now there has to be a war between you. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's why um, bullying has become so pervasive. And I, I don't like to say that, I don't want to say that bullying is overrated. Bull- the term bullying to me is overused. I don't think our youth are really having an opportunity to learn how to process their feelings. They're not having an opportunity to process with peers conflict. Like conflict is a real thing and it's not bullying, but we're really not separating the two. And I actually think when we kind of overuse the term, we're really causing more isolation to youth than we think we are. Um, And they're not learning how to resolve conflict. They're not learning that two people can have differing opinions and that doesn't mean that now you guys have to hate each other or fight each other you know or do mean things to each other so mm-hmm. that's a whole nother thing but it's it's so layered it's it, what they go through is very layered yeah de- it definitely sounds like it so i do want to go back to the parent piece that you also mentioned um you know like these parental expectations um so talk to me more about what that looks like and then what the teen might come in saying related to this 
Sure. So um, some parental expectations could look like, you know, I didn't really have a parent to be there for me or to put me in all of these different activities. You know, my parent didn't have the money. So I think that they need to, you know, play basketball or I think that they need to go do this or they need to go do that. But the teen may not want to do that. They may want to, you know, do art or something else. And the parent is kind of like, no, that that's not going to work. You need to do this. Or the teen could be doing really well or doing well in school, but the parent feels it's not good enough. Um, the biggest, one of the biggest things I am seeing now in, a, in our, I guess, our climate now in the world has been a lot around race and it's been a lot of tension. I've seen a lot of parents who felt they didn't have the best schools, if you will. And so they're sending their children to private or Catholic schools. And then the kids are struggling in those settings because they're the only kid there that's black. And now their peers are talking about their hair because they still want to wear their hair natural. And they're just not feeling like, you know, they're not, they're not feeling good about themselves. And the parents see it from a perspective of, oh, well, this is one of the best schools, but the child doesn't necessarily see it that way because for them, I'm being beat down emotionally daily. Um, and so that's something that I see come into my office often where parents feel like that's what I needed. That's what I needed. And I always have to tell them, but that doesn't mean that's what your child needs. That doesn't mean that's what your teen needs. And that's typically an aha moment because I don't think parents really stop to think about that. They think that whatever they were missing, if they give it to their teen, then their teen won't feel like they did. But the reality is your team may not need what you needed. They may need you to pull back a little bit. They may need you to let them explore a little more. Um, and so it comes in because teens start to feel, again, it's really a lot of things that present that come into my office are really around depression and suicidal ideation. And then I kind of unpack it to see what else is happening. But that's originally how my girls come in. Okay. And what kind of strategies are you using with your girls to um, work on some of these issues? Because it sounds like you kind of see the same kinds of things popping up. You talked about the depression and the suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. So what kinds of strategies and activities and things are you using with them to help with this? So I do a lot of different things, but I always try to figure out what's going to work best for my girl that's walking in. Um, Believe it or not, a lot of girls don't always like to talk, but they do like to be in a safe space. Um, they do like to be with someone that they know when they are able or when they want to talk that this person can help them and address what they have going on. So actually, one of my girls, we would have a full session or close to a full session, and we would spend 10 minutes um, coloring because it would help her calm down. It would help her decompress and help her, you know, just express herself in a different form. Um, I used my, my big dry erase board and we do actual like, you know, activities where they write out affirmations, where they write things that they love about themselves, things that they will want to improve, um, how we can do that. Um, we listen to music. Music is a big thing for teenagers. So I always like to say, okay, well, tell me the song that you've been listening to the most lately, because it'll give me insight into their mood and how they're feeling. And so we'll talk about the different songs that they're listening to even the type of shows and the movies that they're watching because, you know, like 13 reasons why I came out and there's like all of these different shows. I also try to keep myself 
on top of that, that way when they come in, I can do my best to have knowledge of, you know, what they're watching and, you know, be able to process it with them in a healthy way. So I use a lot of different strategies. Um, and I do use a lot of TFCBT, which is trauma focused, um, uh, work because with this packet, the girls really don't have to talk. So it's just about where do you feel this emotion? Do you feel the anger more in your chest? Do you feel it more in your hands? Do you feel it more in your feet? Because helping them recognize where they're feeling things can also help them remain aware of their body when their mood is changing and ultimately change whatever behavior we're seeing that isn't healthy. So it sounds like a lot of your strategies and interventions are kind of like backdoor kinds of things, right? Because I, I would imagine, of course, and what we typically know about teens is that they don't tend to be like super vocal right on the outset. So you have to kind of get at some of the talking and the emotion through some, some of these other things. Absolutely. Some of them, you know, after a while, they, um, they open up and one of my clients, she always cracks me up because she's all like, you won't tell my mom, right? So there's always even just that, you know, um, I don't want to say fear, but they're like, ah, I'm scared to tell because, you know, most of the time they see adults as people who have conversations with other adults. And they're sometimes a little scared of the therapy process because, you know, they know that their parents won't understand everything in its entirety. So there are there are times where I'm just constantly reassuring them about the process and that is a safe space. It's a safe space. And I tell their parents that in front of them, like, Hey, I just want you to remember this is a safe space. You know, these are the reasons that I would share because I like them to be able to trust that, you know, I'm holding their information secret. So. So that's, I was, that was going to be my next question. How do you navigate then? Because of course they are minor. So technically, you know, the record does, technically belong to the parents. Uh Um, So I was going to ask, how do you navigate the piece of helping the parents understand that it'll be a safer place if they, you know, agree to only being notified if they absolutely need to be? Yeah, I tell my parents and my my girls typically, and I have some young boys that I see too, like, hey, these are the reasons I absolutely have to talk to you about. And I tell my my, uh, clients specifically, if there's something that you tell me, that I absolutely think your mom or your dad should know, you and I can process that, right? You and I can have a conversation around if you want to tell them how you want to tell them, you know, and how to have that, you know, open dialogue with your parents. And so I don't leave the kids hanging and I don't exactly like shut the parents out, but I am very strategic around how we do decide to go about the communication and how we do decide to have, you know, open dialogue. And if I think something is really pressing and if a parent is really like, oh, what's going on, I will invite them in for a family session. If, you know, I feel that this is something that we kind of all need to talk about together. Because of course you don't want to be triangulated, you don't want to be in the middle, and you don't want to break that trust with your client, but you also don't want the parents to feel as if they're shut out. So it is a very delicate balance, Um, but I think my strategy so far has really been working and been great for all parties involved. Cool. So I'm just curious, um, like, what are the, like, popular songs that your teens are coming in talking about? Um, And if there are, like, songs that tend to be, um, you know, ones that, like, the entire groups are um, really focused on, you know, that really talk about, like, mental health issues or that really kind of speak to the moods that teens are having? 
they come in with songs I've never heard before in my entire life. <laughs> and I'm like, where did this song come from? You know, and, and that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy that activity because I've never even heard of some of these artists. I don't know like anything. And so they always just keep me on my feet because they're like into stuff. You know, they're, they're so hip. So there really isn't a main song that, you know, I can say a lot of teens have come in and said, yeah, this song is how I feel. It is different for almost every single teenager. Um, and they just, the songs range. Sometimes the songs are songs about anger. Sometimes the songs are songs about lost, lost, but they definitely, definitely vary. And I never know half of the artists. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just always in awe of how teenagers are really just, I like how they're into their own world. And I don't think that we give them enough credit um, just for being awesome, innovative, creative, and just, you know, fun creatures. Like they're mm-hmm. so fun. Um, <laughs> I'm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, as much as we talk about, like, some of the dangerous pieces of social media, I do feel like a lot of what you see um, in terms of, like, these viral videos and different kinds of things, a lot of those things are created by teens. So I feel like it also gives them, like, a platform to tap into their creativity that was not there before. Absolutely. And it's large-scale validation, you know? And I mean, it's it's definitely, I think it was the, uh, was it the Mannequin Challenge? I think it was the mannequin challenge that was started by teenagers and they were like all outside at our high school. I'm like, how are y'all even coordinating? It's like, <laughs> that is a lot, <laughs> you know, even all of the little dances. And so it does. I love those viral videos because they are done by teens. They're so creative. And like I just said, it's like large scale validation. Like, Hey, you are so awesome. The fact that you created this, I know a two, two teen boys, they were on Ellen from their viral video. And it's like, how awesome is that? And I just wish we could cultivate that creativity on a smaller scale um, because it's almost like we don't pay attention until it's viral. Mm-hmm. But it's like, they're creative like that at home. They're creative like that in their schools, but we really aren't cultivating it enough. So yeah, teens are awesome. Yeah. So I know you already touched a little bit on the bullying um, and I'm sure you're wanting to stick to like what is actually bullying, not the overuse of the term that you feel like is happening. Um, But I have heard and read a lot about how bullying may look different in groups of girls versus guys. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about um, what you've seen in terms of groups of girls and what bullying looks like with them. Uh, So for me, what, I've seen in girls with bullying is it's very cliquish and I don't know like I know when I was growing up there were just cliques of girls that always hung out with each other and there was just kind of like isolation based on not being in that clique um and so it really from what I personally see it is still very similar to that certain girls click up and they kind of create this group with their it's not even that they have like requirements, but you know, they clicked up and now they're a group and that's kind of just how they operate. Like, Hey, we're a group. We're all we have. We really don't accept outsiders and you have to be loyal to this group. Um, and I think that what has happened is a lot of our young girls are really striving to be accepted and validated 
And so they end up doing whatever, you know, that said group or that said click is telling them to do because they want to be a part of something. They want to be included. And so that's typically how I see bullying. And, you know, for me, it's just a lot of kids, in my opinion, who want it to be accepted, who want to have genuine friendship. And they go to, for me, what's the easiest thing, which is kind of like being a part of this larger group. Um, of acceptance. And I think that they just end up getting into a lot of situations where now that they're accepted, a part of being accepted means that we're, I don't want to say like hunting, but now we're after someone else. And then they end up being the exact person that they didn't like or want. So that's pretty much how, how I'm seeing it with a lot of the young girls. They just really want friends. Yeah, I mean, and who doesn't, you know, like that's a a key um, transitional kind of phase for them in that age, right? It's kind of the isolation versus being connected to others. So it makes sense. Absolutely. He definitely wants to be connected. Yeah. Mm hmm. So I'm curious about your thoughts um, about like what kinds of characteristics um, a therapist might need to work with like black teenage girls. Like, do you feel like there are special things or special skills that you need to have to really be able to connect with this population and to really do some good work there? Yes, um, I do, actually. So I think one of the key things I was telling any therapist is you really need to be authentic. You really have to be able to have a layer of vulnerability. I'm not saying disclose all of your business because we know that that's not appropriate. Um, but there does have to be a layer of vulnerability and, you know, genuineness and authenticity in order to get through to a teenager. Um, they, re- they are really big on trust. So you want to make sure that they're able to trust you. And you almost want to do the opposite of what they're parents do which is sometimes be a little pushy and sometimes you want to provide more structure and the reason why I say it can be either or is because some parents you know are extremely forceful and so if that's what you see then it's going to be important to move at a slower pace and allow them to make more of the decisions and treatment if you notice that they may not have a lot of structure in their home it may be important to structure some of the therapy sessions just so that they can get an idea for things that are structured in a safer environment. So I would say those are the main components for a clinician doing really good work with the teenager is just really meeting, meeting them where they are, being authentic, being genuine, being okay with a layer of vulnerability. Teenagers ask a lot of questions. <laughs> they ask a lot. I get asked so many questions and I say, that is not an appropriate question. I cannot answer that, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but you know, I don't shut them down. It's just, I'm showing them boundaries. Mm -hmm. This isn't this, that crosses the line for what we can discuss, but tell me, what does that, you know, mean for you? What does, what would that answer have meant to you? But a lot of it is them just trying to get to know you and connect, but it's okay to say that that's not okay and to still have a good relationship. So those would be my characteristics. Um, for any clinician to just do really good work with teenagers. Yeah, like, you know, the fact that you still have to have some boundaries, but you may have to be a little more disclosing versus if you work with a strictly adult population. Yes, you yeah. do. And, and, and really being able to process it through. So one thing I always say is adults sometimes get caught up in the don't do this 
And when a teenager says, why, the, the word that probably triggers a lot of people, <laughs> like, why, you think, oh, they're being disrespectful, they're talking back. No, they actually really want to know why you're mm-hmm. saying, like, this isn't a good idea. Because if we don't equip them with the why this isn't a good idea, they'll continue to do it. Or they're going to they're gonna go find out why you said that. They're going to do it anyway because you didn't fully explain it to them. So one thing is just really being able to have the conversation like, hey, so this decision could lead a, down a few different paths, of course. We never know what's going to happen. But the probability of A or B happening is kind of high based on, you know, what's presented. And so it is important to be able to go beyond just the, that isn't a good idea. And I think that, you know, as a clinician, if it's going to be hard for you to see that teenager just as a person with their own set of ideas and thoughts versus they're a kid and they should just do what their parents tell them to do, it may be a struggle to to work with a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, because they do have their own set of thoughts and ideas and you may not like some of the things that they say, but you have to be able to work through that from their lens. Yeah. That, those are great points. So what are some of the signs and symptoms a parent may be seeing in their teen that would signal that they probably need to go and talk with someone? All right. So the first thing that I tell every parent is you really, you have to be able to know your teenager. And the reason I say that is because sometimes a parent will say like, oh, this is going on. And and I'm like, well, is that normal? I don't know. I just did this. And it's like, well, it's always important to get a baseline, right? That's what we call it. Like you need to know how often this person does this to even know what's abnormal. So that's the first thing. You really need to be able to get in there with your teenager, understand your teenager, understand their schedule, understand the type of food that they eat. And I'm not saying understand, but like just pay attention because I know a lot of our lives moves very, very fast. And we're probably not paying attention to some of the smaller things, but those are the things that can really help us know when something's wrong. So definitely paying more attention to your teen in the everyday, in their everyday lives, just everyday lives to see what it's like. That way you have a better understanding if something is abnormal, if something strays from that routine of what you've, of what you've noticed. Outside of that, you'll be able to see if your teen is maybe sleeping more or eating more, if they are sleeping less or eating less, if they are hanging out with a certain type of peer group. Now, this is, that one isn't always a bad thing, and I could probably go on and on, but it's not always a bad thing that your child is hanging out with a different type of, you know, peer group, but it's important to think about if their behavior is changing along with hanging out with this different peer group. Um, failing grades. If you notice that your kid is typically your A or B student and now they're bringing home C's or D's, you should pay attention to that. Um, it could be an academic issue. I will always ask, have you talked to the teacher to see what the teacher is saying? It could be that, or it could be that the child is struggling to focus due to other um, emotional stressors. And, you know, self-harm, obviously, if your child is actually self-harming or if they're saying that they want to take their lives or if they're saying that they feel like they're depressed, you definitely just want to listen to that and get them to someone so that they can really try to process what is happening and what is occurring to them. So those are some key signs to just check to see if, um, you know, something is bothering your teen and if maybe therapy would be a good option. Okay. And for any teens listening, 
um, would you offer those same kinds of things to be checking in for in themselves? Like if they're thinking, okay, do I need to talk to my parents about this? Or do I need to talk to a therapist about this? Yes, I would. Um, I guess for a teenager, I would say, um, if you're listening, any out there, hey, um, <laughs> <laughs> I would say you definitely want to think about yourself. Think about if you're making decisions that you normally wouldn't make, if you're feeling in feeling ways that you normally don't feel. Um, but some more concrete things is if you are feeling like you are suicidal, if you're feeling like you want to run away, um, you may want to check in with someone because that means that wherever you are, you're not feeling safe there and you want to run obviously probably to a safer place um yeah and if you are eating more or eating less or experimenting and that's something this goes both ways if kids are experimenting more with drugs um or alcohol or doing more risky behavior maybe engaging in more sexual activity um obviously some of it is normal for teenagers to become um interested but if you're noticing that your teen is never home or you're noticing that they're out a lot or they're coming home smelling like alcohol or, you know, marijuana, that's something to also think about and say, Hey, I may need to step in and intervene. And for those teens that, you know, can hide it from their parents. If you are starting to notice that you're doing more of that, it may be time for you to also check in with someone. Okay. And I know a lot of this, you know, requires parent intervention. And you talked about, you know, like a lot of that is your work too, like really helping parents to figure out how to talk with their teens. And I know you wrote a recent piece about effective communication with um, between parents and teens. Can you share maybe like some of the key strategies or tips you would offer to parents? Absolutely. So I love the little chart that I created around effective communication. And if you don't mind, I'll just kind of run through it really quick because it makes it so awesome. So a lot of times using I statements versus you statements are like, they're so important. It's so important. And it makes such a difference in how you communicate. So most parents will say, you know, why don't you ever listen to me? You never listen. But you could say an alternative is I feel like I'm not being understood. And it's making me upset because I want the best for you. It's the same thing, <laughs> but it sounds a lot better when you use an I statement or saying things like, um, you know, why are you always coming home late? You could say something like, I feel anxious when you don't come home or time. Um, and I find it difficult to complete certain things because it's delayed without you. And I want to make sure you're safe. Same thing. Mm hmm. But the tone of it is completely different and it's conveying concern to your child. And that's a different ball game than kind of, you know, being accusatory and blaming um, or even saying, you know, you need to find new friends. Again, we were talking about peer groups. An alternative would be, I feel hurt when you choose to be friends with teens that may cause you harm or that cause you harm. Same thing, but it's worded differently. And it, that makes a big difference. So really, as a parent, being able to be vulnerable too, being able to say exactly what it is that's bothering them about the teen's behavior, um, even when it comes to grades. Say, alternatively, I am worried about your scores, and I will be happy to just see you successful. Maybe we can work at improving some of your study habits. It's the same thing, but it sounds completely different. So those are just some examples of how you can really change communication um, with your teenager.
Nice. So I think that a lot of people, you know, listen to this show while driving and things. So I don't want you to think that you will miss this. The (laughs) checklist will be included in the show notes. So we'll make sure you have access to that if you need to get a copy of what to say to your teen instead of, you know, kind of thing. We'll make sure you have access to that. So I want you to talk more with us about your book. So you have a book called Dear Teen Self. Um, that's really, really great. And I want, you know, want you to share with the audience more about what that is, your hopes for the book and what kinds of things are included. Absolutely. So like Dr. Joyce said, my book is Dear Teen Self. And this book is pretty much an interactive, it's an interactive book. It has journal pages, I have a word bank, and it's tip-based. So I wanted to make sure that I grabbed the teenager's attention and that I kept it. So I didn't make it a super long novel. I just really wanted to hit home some of the points that I wanted to make. And I wanted to be able to have a very open dialogue or conversation with them around why I made some of the choices that I made. So fun fact, this book is about my life as a teenager. And I went through some pitfalls and some ups and downs, but I feel even with the fact that I made it here today, it really inspires teenagers that even if you make a few poor choices, you can still get on the right path. You just have to put your mind to that. So The book has um, over 70 tips, and one of my favorite tips is, you know, not everyone is a hater, and I know that that sounds interesting, but I really stopped to talk to teenagers in this particular tip around how I called people haters because I didn't really know how to connect with people. I didn't know what I was doing in this situation or in this environment that would make someone not think I was a nice person. And really just talking to them about the emotion around what I was going through and how that changed how I saw the world. And sometimes I saw the world in a very negative light. Um, And so that's what this book is. It's saving lives. You know, I talk about some other deep stuff in here, but um, this book is really saving teenagers from going down certain roads that could really harm them or hurt their feelings in a way and I'm just excited I want like every girl to have this book I want girls in high schools to have this book even some I've had girls that are in college that say I love this book I wish I had it when I was a teenager but I'm still applying some of these concepts now Um, I have adult women who say oh I bought this book for my niece but I want to keep it (laughs) Um, you know so it's really just speaking to it's speaking to the inner us, right? It's speaking to that vulnerable place in us where we're feeling unsure, we're feeling uncertain, when we're feeling less than. And because we're feeling those ways, we make choices in those spaces. And we all know a lot of times when we make choices in those spaces, they're not the best. So that's what this book does for teen girls. And I really want, I want at least a million girls to have touched this book, read this book, and, you know, have been motivated from this book. So I'm, I'm excited about how far it's going to go. I'm yes. really excited. And if you are listening, you absolutely have to pick a copy of this book up for the teen in your life because it really is an amazing interactive book, like she mentioned. Um, not at all stuffy and very accessible for teens. So make sure you grab a copy. Of course, it will also be included in the show notes where you can find it. So tell us more about where we can find you online, Janae. Where can people contact you if they want to? Yes. So my website is probably one of the best stops. Um, and that is www.teentherapytalk.com. You can also find the book Dear Teen Self there. 
I also have an ultimate guide for parents to love their teenager. <laughs> um, I love this guide so much. It's on sale actually right now, but it's really um, an amazing guide to just help parents just really dig into how to better connect with their teenager. So that's also on the website. Um, you can email me. My email is also on the website. Um, I'm on social media as Dear Teen Self, um, Teen Talk Therapy, and uh, Janae Chanel. So those are all of my handles, guys, and I'm excited to be here. I'm like so happy still. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, like I said, Janae, I definitely, when people asked for a teen episode, I knew exactly who I was going to ask to do this. And so I'm happy that you agreed to do this. Um, and, you know, again, hope that the teens in everybody's lives will be able to benefit from your knowledge and your work. So thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you for having me and thank you to all of the listeners. Um, and if anyone needs me, I gave a shout out to all of the ways to find me. It's perfect. Now you see why she's the person I decided to bring on to talk with you all about teens. She is just a wealth of information related to teenagers. And I think the freebies that she has to give away for you are definitely worth your while. So make sure you check those out. You can find all of the resources and things she shared at therapyforblackgirls.com backslash session 23. And as always, if you are looking for a therapist in your area, Janae and other people, um, you can make sure to look in the directory that you can find that at therapyforblackgirls.com backslash directory. And if you're a therapist and you're interested in adding your practice information to the directory, then you can check that out at therapyforblackgirls.com backslash being listed. Let me know your thoughts about the episode. Janae and I definitely want to hear what you thought about dealing with the teens in your lives. Make sure that you share this with the teens in your lives or people who you know are parenting or caring for teens you can find us on social media on twitter at therapy for the number four b girls and you can find us on instagram and facebook at therapy for black girls the hashtag for the show is tbg in session i'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon take good care <laughs>